Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with Science and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're on Team Human, conscious intervention in the machine. We're taking a stand against an institutionally imposed state of fear, stupidity, and automatic behavior. We are rebelling against extinction by proving we are not yet obsolete. We may be weird, but that's only because we're still alive. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, mental health counselor and the author of Cult of Trump, Stephen Hassan. The way to help speed up the exiting process is more contact with normal people who care about you. Can we put our politics aside and just be together as family members or as friends and work on reestablishing contact? Hassan will share how today's political movements constitute cults and how we can reach out from our own cults to the people in other ones. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. And you can become a subscriber and support this show at teamhuman.fm by clicking on support or go to patreon.com slash teamhuman. We've got all sorts of new premiums from digital copies of my first book, Siberia, to new beautiful Team Human long sleeve shirts. You can join supporters like Blake Fisher, Crystal Rutland, David Swedlow, Felicia M., and Lucy Wills. Thanks for being on Team Human. You can also hear Team Human on the radio on stations like X-Ray FM in Portland, Oregon, KXRC in Durango, California, and KSPC in Claremont, California. If you want Team Human on your favorite terrestrial radio station, please let them know or email us at team at teamhuman.fm. As I've been mentioning on a few of the past shows, I'm returning to theater. It was my original love, actually. I left theater partly because it had become so expensive for people to go to, and I felt like the traditional narrative arc of theater was... uh, too cathartic, letting people off the hook. It wasn't provoking people to action. It felt as if people were going to plays as a substitute for doing some kind of real world thing. I got a bit disenchanted and uh, moved on and the net was happening and someone needed to write about it. And it looked at the time, at least like no one cared about the net. So I really wanted to champion what seemed like it was going to be a people's medium. And I have to admit, you know, a lot of people lost a great love of their lives. You think back on, oh, there was that one and that real broken heart that you may have had. I never really had a broken heart from a relationship, but honestly, leaving theater, it broke my heart. You know, I came to New York. I had to be a writer, had to cover this, and um, I left the theater. It was hard to do because 
most of the people I knew who were doing theater were doing like really heady conceptual things. I mean, you know, I do Team Human. So my kind of theater was always about the scene, making the scene real, making it work, making this thing happen between the actors on the stage with the audience there. It was the event in the room. And a lot of my peers, and I understand that tech was coming around and they were really smart and they were doing these super high concept productions, you know, like Hamlet in a mirror or, you know, video screens around or, you know, crazy uh, high production value, super conceptual big productions. And I was always into the sort of the eye contact of the real scenes. And I would do epic theater and, you know, old Greek and Brecht and all sorts of stuff. But it was always about the human bodies in the space. That's what theater is. After all, it's not TV. It's not movies. It's bodies in space. And I left the theater. And in some sense, I don't know, I got the creepy feeling like I left it behind to these people who didn't really care about what theater was, but kind of wanted to use theater or leverage theater to just get away with their thing, you know, to get in the way. And all these directors who would do productions that were more about the director than the play or the actors, they were just, it was about them. And I, I've come back to theater now. So I've been watching a whole lot. I've been watching a lot of Broadway shows with my daughter. And I'll tell you, it really is different. You go to a Broadway musical now and it's all these people walking around with these microphones like on their scalps. You know, they've got like this little uh, lavalier microphone kind of glued right to their forehead. And they're mic'd really well, but they're mic'd right on the top of their head. And then they cast all of these kind of young women with these soft kind of high alto voices like like these little Disney-esque princess voices and because they're mic'd it can fill the space but they end up singing kind of small in a weird way they're not singing to the room, they're singing just on the stage in their own little world. Or you watch actors in a scene and they don't have to act like you did in Shakespeare or a Shaw play or something. You, They're acting almost as if they're on a soap opera set or in a movie, you know, really subtle and small because they're so miked. And then you got these productions. Gosh, I just saw West Side Story this weekend with my daughter and I was brought to tears. I was actually brought to tears watching this thing because West Side Story is one of the great musicals of all time. And this guy did this giant conceptual production where the whole back wall is a video screen. And there's actually scenes and songs from the musical that are performed essentially off stage. They go through these doors, through the back wall of the stage, onto these sets. And then you watch the scenes on the screen, right? Like you're watching a movie of those scenes or People come out and they're dancing in front of this giant screen, but they're competing, these these small human bodies competing against this giant screen. And I guess you can justify what? Is this about media overtaking reality or something? But that's not what West Side Story is about anyway. And I felt the urge to weep for these poor kids, these 19-year-old humans, these great performers with beautiful voices and all the dancing that they've learned to do, just overpowered, overwhelmed by this thing. And I feel like we're losing track. We're losing connection with what makes the human venues, the remaining human venues we have, what makes them so powerful? I mean, it's the same problem with a coffee shop that's playing his music so loud that you can't meaningfully connect with anybody else in the room. It's a disgrace to the music. You know, it's turning the music into noise and it's a disgrace to the the one of the last few remaining places that people can gather. So what's the solution? I mean, I'm not saying don't make crazy plays with lots of video. If that's your bag, you know, if that's what you're into, that's fine. But let's remember that there are still a few of these precious remaining venues and modalities where the human form is celebrated. Things like theater, where the human, with a larger-than-life human, the tragic hero, the epic event is happening on a stage. And let's give 
people in the human form a chance to be celebrated, to fill us with its sound. I mean, think about old Broadway, not just even Bette Midler, but before, like Ethel Merman didn't have a microphone when she's in Annie Get Your Gun singing, there's no business like show business. That woman's lungs filled the room. And that's why everybody's hair stood up on the back of their neck, that here was this human filling them with sound. So every chance you have, and it's not just theater, it's not just coffee shops and bookstores and classrooms, all the places where humans gather, consider what does it mean to have these human forms there? What is it to relate directly to a human body making sound, making movement, and celebrate, exploit that opportunity when you have it, rather than running away from it like it's some weird, old-fashioned, obsolete thing that won't matter if you don't impose some piece of BS technology on top of it. Here on Team Human, our guest today, mental health counselor and the author of Cult of Trump, Stephen Hassan. Originally, you reached out to me after I wrote the book Coercion. I had a chapter in there on cult indoctrination. And for me, I was most interested in the way that a cult leader or a cult community will ask for people to take increasingly embarrassing steps or to do things that are increasingly against their own better judgment to the point where they have to rationalize that the cult is real in order to justify what they've just done. You've written an entire book, The Cult of Trump, in which Trump, knowingly or not, is utilizing cult tactics to uh, win the loyalty of his staff and his constituency. What kind of led you to, to see it? in Trump? What was the first sort of warning bell that, oh, these are kind of culty techniques? The big alarms went off for me when he wanted a total Muslim ban in 2015. Mm. And I had been researching ISIS recruitment online, and I wrote a Huffington Post piece, Donald Trump, ISIS's greatest collaborator, because people were rushing to join ISIS and hearing about this persecution of Islam. In other words, he was motivating people, not necessarily to join the Trump cult, but in the way like if Microsoft did some really dastardly thing with their operating system, that then galvanizes the Apple Macintosh users into thinking, oh, look at this awful thing. So in other words, Trump doing a Muslim ban helped galvanize recruitment for ISIS. It seemed obvious that this mm. was a big mistake. If you're wanting to inspire fear and a black and white, all or nothing, good versus evil mindset, which is stereotypical of cult leaders, then you want to talk that way and use a lot of phobia, indoctrination and fear manipulation uh, and loaded language. I can also state that uh, having been in the moon cult in the 70s. You were a Mooney. I know. And you were recruited right on our Queens College campus. In the cafeteria, in fact. Ah. As an upper junior, I was a creative writing major. And my girlfriend had just dumped me and three women pretending to be students asked if they could share my table. And little did I know they were full-time recruiters, that they were lying their face off which is a very important point I want to emphasize, which is destructive cult groups use deception when they're recruiting. So the whole notion of people joining a destructive cult, I think, is misframed hmm. because if people understood what they were getting into, they never would even take that first step. Deception by withholding vital information, by distorting information, and as well as outright lying is characteristic. For me, the issue is human rights and freedom to know what you're getting into and freedom to leave without coercion or threats or uh, penalty. And of course, having been in cult with Sun Myung Moon, who said he was the greatest human being in history and was going to save the world. As I was listening to Donald Trump, it was like, oh, another cult leader, but a political flavor. 
these grandiose narcissists who think they're above the law and think that and have no empathy and use fear and guilt and demand complete obedience or else fits the profile. I found actual cults that are in his base of the cult of Trump, as well as cults that are influencing him policy-wise to advance their agenda, for example, to break down the separation of church and state. I mean, it's a tricky because I don't want this conversation to necessarily be framed as, oh, look at them calling Trump and all his people and everything he's doing bad and everything else is good. In other words, it's easy to dismiss this kind of conversation as if what we're doing is making a moral judgment on Trump, which we can do separately. But this is almost more of a tactical discussion about the nature of enlistment in the Trump movement. Now, most of the people I talk to who are passionately pro-Trump don't see themselves as an occult, they see themselves as, if anything, sort of taking a red pill of a sort where they've seen now the deep state conspiracy, the way that big government and big business are controlling the world. And Donald Trump, though he may be something of a bull in a china shop, is trying to take down this corrupt institutional swamp. When thinking about the destructive cult of Trump, for me, it is a behavioral analysis, looking at the bite model, the control of behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions to make people dependent and obedient. It's heavily appealing to emotions and to unconscious heuristics uh, that are not analytical and critical thinking oriented in terms of facts. In fact, one of the things that I learned about was something called fourth generation warfare, which is a psychological operations approach that was coined in the 1980s by William Lind, who is then partnered up with Paul Weyrich of the Christian right. But this psychological operations a program is towards delegitimizing leaders, delegitimizing institutions, confusing, overwhelming people, and more or less getting them ripe for authoritarian direction. If someone says, I know what needs to happen, right. trust me. I know. So you look at the environment that we're living in, and most of us are emotionally in the same state that you were in sitting at that table in the Queens College cafeteria when your girlfriend broke up with you. We're in this world where it feels as if reality and our job and the economy and family values and the future have all broken up with us. <laughs> Why I'm saying even people who don't believe in Trump are being affected by these techniques, by calling the press the enemies of the people, by refuting climate science and saying, no, dis disregard your experiences of being flooded or having torrential storms or wildfires burning everything down. Ignore all of that. That has nothing to do with what we're doing. Right. Which is, it seems the classic cult leader line is don't believe your family. Don't believe your teachers. Don't believe your government. Just believe me. They don't really have your best interests at heart. So all of us are just as disoriented as people who might choose to follow him. And many of us who are disoriented will either choose to follow someone else or prop up Trump as this sort of devil character, which makes him, again, almost, if not even more significant than the people who, who follow him. Yeah, that's an important point. Demagogues want to be feared, never forgotten. Their biggest worry is being forgotten. They're very happy if they're in the press with bad things being said about them. Why? Because they want to be in people's heads. Right. They want people thinking about them and reacting emotionally. But sometimes, I mean, when I look at the stadium around him, you know, and all the people, they're laughing with him. And I feel like on some level, his followers understand the performative aspect of Trump better than his detractors do. In other words, that they maybe take him in some ways less seriously than the rest of us do. Oh, I think they take him very seriously. But remember, he was a reality TV star. He's very deeply involved with the world of wrestling. 
which is all fake. But it's inviting the people who attend these competitions to engage in the good versus evil, simplistic narrative and get their emotions aroused. Ultimately, it's not the stuff of good citizenry and reality. It's more fantasy. In some ways, I mean, if it's theater, I'm less upset because at least then the people perpetrating it understand that. You know, when I watch a Sean Hannity or one of these figures and hear what they say, I feel like a child. I still look at them and don't know, do they mean this or are they just saying this cynically? Are they just trying to manipulate the masses or do they actually believe what's coming out of their mouths? My take on it is uh, that there's a dissociative element here where there's the real self that has a conscience and values and, uh, and a critical analysis, and then a, a pseudo-identity, a cult self that is engaging in this process and such. And I, I want to quote James Comey, if I may. Uh-huh. He did one of the best descriptions, subjective descriptions of cognitive dissonance theory in practice. He said, when you're sitting at a table and the guy at the head of the table tells a lie and you think to yourself, that's a lie, and then he does it again and you say, that's another lie, but you don't get up and walk out of the room or you don't call the guy at the head of the table on his lie. He says it bends your soul. We have thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and we're more rationalizing beings than we're rational. We do behaviors, and then we find a reason to explain why we did it and to feel good about it versus having really informed choices mm. that we then go and do. It's an interesting thing. They don't really start with the beliefs. The beliefs follow the behavior. So you get the person to do the stuff, or once you're doing stuff, even if you don't agree with it, you then have to retrofit a belief system to the behaviors in which you're engaged. Yeah, exactly. Cult programs often involve doing things that bring you back to childhood, singing songs, playing sports events, sharing around the campfire, things that bring up positive childlike memories and states. But again, there's a strong emphasis on hypnotic kinds of communications. When I say hypnotic, I'm not talking about sleep. I'm talking about bypassing your critical analytic faculties, but where it's impacting you emotionally and psychologically. And a lot of how Trump talks, people are connecting with him, projecting onto him, feeling like he understands them, and he's just a regular guy. And he allows people to project this fantasy image that somehow he's going to fix everything and get rid of all of the corruption, even though he's put into place the most corrupt group of billionaires in his administration. And eventually, I mean, as the world gets filled in like that, we have to adjust to it. I mean, I'm thinking about the cult member who may be doing something that he or she doesn't agree with fully, but then looks at themselves doing that action and thinks, oh, so let's say uh, uh, there's a cult meeting and they have everybody bow down to the cult leader. And the person might think, well, I don't really think they're God, but everybody else is doing it. I'll just bow down just because it's easier to bow down than to have them all yell at me for not bowing down or look at me or whatever. But then once you're bowing down, your brain goes, oh, I'm bowing down to this person. Therefore, they must be something. That's very accurate. We all like to think that we're above it and that we can never be mind controlled or brainwashed and we could never be in a cult. But I think humility is is the, the better, uh, wiser choice to say, you know what, we're human and our environment matters and our smartphones and our social mm-hmm. media is impacting us when we're getting Uh, messages that we have to like. And if we don't like or we don't retweet it, we'll be viewed by our peer group as somehow disloyal. My question is, where are we headed? Are we headed towards 
more authoritarianism and dictatorships? Or are we wanting to keep the journey towards human rights and looking at people as worthwhile uh, unto themselves versus objects to be extract money from or to get a vote from? I wonder, you know, so if we're looking at an increasingly large percent of the population falling into one version of cultism or another, and then we think, okay, how do we help deliver them from this? How do we do a mass cult deprogramming? You know, the only ways I've ever known to deprogram people, and I've really only done two or three, is I guess the opposite of what most people would think. It's not blaming the cult leader at all, but helping the individual see how their choices and actions are the whole thing. That dude doesn't have magical power. He can't bury your soul or use magic lightning bolts on you. If you can bypass the shame, not worry about the shame of having fallen for something and instead see yourself as the source of this whole experience, then you could unwind it because you had the autonomy all along. But if you accept that you had the autonomy all along, it's really embarrassing to look, oh my God, I was so deep into that thing. How I discuss it is if you go back in time to when you first heard about the group or the leader, remember what it was that they were saying. You know, what did you think you were getting involved with? And like really access who you were prior to all of the social indoctrination and such. And always people re realize that they've been lied to. Like I said, either critical information was withheld or it was distorted or they were told outright lies. After you educate them about psychology, social psychology, things like the fundamental attribution error, cognitive dissonance, the Ash Conformity Study, Milgram Obedience Studies, and Bardo Prison Study, once you show them all of that, then you say, now you know more information. If you knew then what you know now, do you think you would have gotten involved? And people stop and think, and they go, no, I never would. So the idea here is to reduce the cost of saying, you know what, I'm a human being. They lied to me. They tricked me. I was exposed to very systematic psychological and social influence forces. And there are lots of people this has happened to, and they move on with their life. Part of what I've been trying to do with my 43 years since my deprogramming from the Moonies is be a role model to destigmatize the notion that, you know, intelligent, educated people can get into mind control cults and they can leave and, and have very fruitful lives. One of the biggest mistakes that everyone is making is a parallelism to what happens when somebody gets into Scientology or the Moonies, which is... You try to y you yell at them and say, hey, get, don't get in there. It's a bad group. You know, right. how can you believe this? You try to shake the person, yell at the person, call the person names. But usually that is counterproductive. The person feels persecuted or misunderstood. It drives them deeper in. And then typically families cut off contact because it's too upsetting to yeah. talk to their loved one when they're in this gobbledygook cult. And everybody has relatives that they can't invite to Thanksgiving anymore for fear of interacting. Right. For me, the way to help speed up the exiting process is more contact with normal people who care about you, family members, friends. And I say, you know, look, if you haven't talked to them for a year or two years, you say, I, I miss you. We, we used to hang out. We used to enjoy Thanksgiving. Can we put our politics aside and just be together as family members or as friends and work on reestablishing contact? So that's kind of phase one of helping people wake up. Then the next theme is that you can never tell someone in a cult they're in a cult because they'll get defensive because they, they, they can't think negative thoughts against the leader, the doctrine, or the group. They do thought stopping. It, it programs the phobias to kick in. So what I recommend is talking about a, another group that they would agree with 
is a bad group or a, a, a destructive thing. With Trumpers, I use Chinese communist brainwashing. And I would even cite the Chinese government as saying that Hong Kong is brainwashing its youth. Like, let's look at experts who've studied Chinese communist brainwashing and find out what it's about. Because that was what helped me get out of the Moonies was Robert Lifton's Thought Reform and the Psychology of mm. Totalism, the 1961 book where he outlined eight criteria. You don't tell them, oh, this is what Trump is doing. Well, we're talking about a more oblique way of right. creating case examples. But can't they essentially do that to the non-Trumpers? So can't con smart conservative Trumpers or just plain old conservatives say, all of you people are stuck in the climate change cult? And the climate change cult is an end of world Armageddon apocalyptic cult, you know, which is the same as at the end of the 1800s. People were standing up on their rooftops in America waiting to get carried away. The, 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 back when uh, Isaac Luria was writing the Kabbalah, Jews thought that God was going to come on a specific date and take them all away, just as Jim Jones had a date. Now you guys are all just focused on this end of the world stuff. We always get out of that. We always do. You're going to drive this eventuality. I welcome when people are telling me that I'm in the cult of George Soros or right. I am a libtard or I've been brainwashed by the media. And some of the techniques, though, that they use to ostracize people. I mean, it's a problem on the left, the coddling of the American mind and how anybody who scientifically challenges some aspect of climate change is immediately suspect of being on the anti-climate change Side. That's why I think it's important to get past the rhetoric and the propaganda terms and get back to science and facts matter. The notion that you create your own reality and there's no, uh, there's no objective forces in reality is just plain wrong. Right. Because a lot of postmodernists are very vulnerable to cult indoctrination. <laughs> exactly. People <laughs> who believe in the law of the so-called law of positive attraction or the secret. All the prosperity ministers are teaching that, by the way. And I think ultimately the demonstration that you're not in a mind control cult is learning about what mind control is, talking to critics and former members, and really hearing why they're critical or why they left the group so clearly that you can articulate it as if you could step into their shoes and describe it. And it goes for any on the left or the right or any mind control group, the ability to get past the fear where you can't imagine leaving the group or not being loyal to the leader and being happy and fulfilled. People mistake falling for it for a lack of intelligence. Like, oh, how could you be so stupid? And it's like, no, in some sense, I mean, even Jacques Ellul wrote about this, the smarter you are, the more you can construct rationalizations around the false premise. Exactly. No, the more mind you have, the more can be controlled, the more <laughs> imagination you have, the yep. more you can create fantastical constructions in your mind of what you think you're following. But you want to get granular. And you don't want to be in a I'm smarter than you or a win-lose frame. You want to be, no, help me. Help me step into your shoes. Mm. You step into my shoes. Right. If you can articulate my concerns and critique of Trump to my satisfaction, and I, I can represent your critique of liberal media and everything else to your satisfaction, then we're really having a conversation that's aiming to get at the bare bones uh, reality. Which is always, I mean, that's just the goal of Team Human as well. I mean, our theme is, is find the others, you know, meaning find the other, the Trumpy or the whatever it is that's other to you. Go as far back as you have to, to try to find that common ground. It's just some of us, we have to go pretty far back to find it now. But I really 
believe in love and, and respect and compassion and social justice. And people can feel if you're genuine and just looking to not be about your ego or about being right, but like what's best. And for many people who are leaving, for example, neo-Nazi groups and other hate groups, a lot changes when they become a parent. A lot changes when they can start looking at the, their child and what's best for their child. And and so some of my friends who've left hate groups talk about how horrible it was to be living in hate and how pleasant it is <laughs> to not be paranoid and, and upset with other people, but just see them as trying to do the best they can also to uh, put food on the table, do meaningful work and, and, and help society. And you're hopeful about our ability as a society to reacquaint ourselves with love and mutual compassion? So the answer is yes. However, I do believe there are people who are authoritarian, who are malignant narcissists, who don't have empathy, who are about greed or about their ego and would like to seek to manipulate and control other people. And, and so I think it really comes down to connecting with people who are not incapable of empathy and are not pathologically uh, narcissistic, but actually want to live a happy, healthy, fulfilled life and do care about the future. And you would think that's everybody. I would love to bring everybody on the planet to a 3D IMAX movie of the space station where you're looking down on the earth, where you can see where forests are burning Ugh. and just realize we're on this incredible spaceship earth that's so delicate in some ways and that we really don't have options to go somewhere else, maybe in 100 years or 500 years, but... This is it. This is our habitat. I mean, in some ways, playing the cult game with American society and what we've done, in some sense, the Trump cult can help all of us see a sort of a, an abject lesson in the cultism of our society. You know, you don't have to be in the cult of Trump to be in a cult now. You don't have to be in Scientology, but we have almost the cult members approach to reality formation. I do look at the psychology of influence maturing and what's so different is the digital age and how platforms are being used to not only mine data, but how they can capture attention. And, and, and radicalize people online. Exactly. Instead of three pretty girls coming to your table at the Queens College cafeteria, it's dozens of conversations and Twitter posts and things that algorithms are just throwing against the wall shotgun style until something clicks with Rushkoff or Hassan, you know? And once they find it, then they burrow in. And uh, boy, it's a lot more efficient than having to find, you know, people out there with incense to drag you in. It is more efficient. The question is, are we going to have the wisdom to have the clarity of characteristics of healthy ethical influence that respects a person's individuality and their right to read whatever they want to read and talk to whoever they want to talk to, their right to leave versus the control control of behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions to make people dependent and obedient. And right now in the U.S., we're facing a China, an authoritarian China that wants to influence the world. And we, we need to be aware that this is a very big country with a lot of resources, a lot of smarts, and technological reach. So we really are going to need to reflect and think, how are we going to insulate ourselves against that type of authoritarianism? And I don't see a way to do it without mass civic education of everybody about the psychology of influence. My worry is that I may have adopted a, an almost paranoid 
posture or frame for the world around me. I'm teaching at Queens College, yet aware about how the college institution itself is indoctrinating me into a system of believing, you know, about its importance. Or if I become a Bernie Sanders person, now am I adopting, what am I falling for? And I feel like there's a downside to maintaining this critical, constantly evaluating mindset that in some ways I can never fully accept the embrace of a community because I've got one eye always watching to make sure I'm not being pulled into something destructive. Yeah. No, I I actually can identify with you on that one, Doug. So I don't walk around paranoid and thinking people are going to mind control me, but I do have unconscious antenna that go up when I'm hearing uh, loaded language or, right. or enough. When someone, right, just doing something unfair in their interaction with you, it's like, wait a minute, you've just used something you knew about my past to try to convince me of something. That's not fair, you know? Going back to Thinking Fast and Slow, the book by Daniel Kahneman, right? we are having unconscious heuristics that, and biases that are being triggered and I'm for making them conscious. That's why we learn social psychology and because it makes us more self-aware. But I'm also with you that we need to be able to rest. I do want to talk about the importance of not being isolated and Mm. having friends and family. That's exactly what I was thinking when you were saying that. We all wanted to not have our guard up all the time. Well, it's one thing if you're on Facebook or watching television or at a political rally. It's another if you're actually with the people you love, shouldn't you be able to let down those guards and actually be with them? I think you should. And I also think you should have friends that don't have the same exact belief system as you politically, religiously, and otherwise. And that you should be looking at other media. If you typically, you know, read the New York Times, look at what's on Breitbart, look at what's on Fox, etc. to hear other points of view to at least understand how other citizens are being influenced, how narratives are being shaped and such. To hear even the grain of truth in what they're saying. I mean, I watch Fox all the time now and, you know, hear them talking so much about the deep state and the deep state in Ukraine and all. And finally, I can see, okay, there's a certain part of me that can understand we don't want America in all these wars. And there's this many decades of deep state that's highly invested in the existing framework of international relationships. And there's some sense to maybe we should, not the way it's being done, but we could reevaluate each one of these stalemates and see whether, you know, there is room for improvement. What I learned after I got out of the moon cult, I was part of a congressional subcommittee investigation into the Korean CIA activities in the United States. And I learned that the CIA set up the Korean CIA and the founder of the Korean CIA chose the Moonies as a front group to do political re-education programs in South Korea to counter Uh, the North Korean brainwashing programs. Wow. So they picked the wrong tool. I mean, (laughs) well, the thing was, is this was an extension of the MKUltra CIA mind control research project, but this was now operationalizing it in terms of human agents. And and I was uh, recruited at Queens College. This was phase two where they brought this Korean cult, yours truly, who hated Nixon and voted for McGovern, fasted for Nixon for three days on the Capitol steps during his impeachment because Moon said God wanted him to be president. Uh. Okay. So in a very real way, I am upset with the intelligence agencies who know that Manchurian candidates can be created and deployed and that they are utilizing groups like the Moonies. Don't, let's not forget the Moonies uh, bought and operate the Washington Times newspaper, a right-wing paper that didn't make any money for 25 years, who had an expense of $2 billion, owned by a felon. Moon went to jail. 
for for evasion of U.S. taxes. So I say it as it is. There is people in the intelligence uh, business that have other agendas that have nothing to do with democracy, have nothing to do with protecting American citizens' rights, and that there should be more uh, oversight and transparency and not this all or nothing thing. I'm still frustrated that no president, no no one in authority has said, yes, mind control exists. People can be deceptively recruited and indoctrinated into a completely new I- identity system that is completely dependent and obedient. They don't want to admit that that is, is what we're able to do. And yet, that is what we're demonstrating day after day after day. Right. They're uh, still too willing to use these you know, weapons of psychological war for short-term results without fully comprehending that they are changing the landscape of human interaction in ways that make it impossible for us to forge a coherent society. For those people who want to take over, they want facts and truth to be denigrated. They want institutions and leadership to be delegitimized so that people get helpless, they get hopeless, they tune out, they won't vote, and they'll just go along and do whatever they're told to do. If that succeeds, then it means that democracy doesn't work. And that's sort of one of the questions that I'm still wrestling with a little bit. Were we ready for the internet? Or maybe I championed this technology we weren't ready for a little bit too soon. But this sort of the bigger question, the almost the kind of question that Kissinger would be asking now is more, were we ready for democracy? Or are people just too vulnerable to mind control to exercise authority? I guess I have a resistance of the notion that we're not ready to be adults capable of making decisions for ourselves. Because if not us, then who? Right. I, I, I really, I blame the education system that is so out of date. I think we can do so much better than what we've been doing. And I think it's up to young people to do some more learning and be active. I'd love millions of ex-members to start speaking out, telling their story so we can destigmatize it. And do you see ways of creating movements now, maybe Extinction Rebellion or uh, the equivalent that can capture some of the enthusiasm of movement making without falling into the traps of cultism. Yeah. Again, it's about people being alert and aware and understanding the influence continuum, understanding what questions they need to be asking or what behaviors to watch out for, where we're encouraging people to know themselves and to be honest with themselves and, and teaching them reality testing strategies. It's all learnable. And I think it has to happen on a person-to-person level. I don't think it's something that there's a CD-ROM for or an app for it. You're never going to uh, rekindle the evolved social mechanisms that we have for establishing rapport and figuring out truth. It's too alien a landscape. No, I agree. But ultimately, I think there are scalable parts of that, like video modules that could be on a computer that people sit with their loved ones and watch and discuss. Reconnect to reality in a box. (laughs) Well, to start, though, we've got Cult of Trump. Because this is so contemporary, because we can watch it around us, this is way more, I think it's more relevant to us. It works better than the other books. Because the other books, for most people, they think cult and they think of those TV movies from the 70s where you grab the girl and stick her in a white van and go off into a motel and try to deprogram her before the culties find you. It makes the cult seem so exotic where this book helps us see, oh no, it's all around us. And it's not just the cult of Trump. The cult of anti-Trump is just as culted at this point. We're all in it. Any one of us who blames Trump for our current state, rather than understanding that Donald Trump just jumped into a standing wave of culture, that the preconditions were there, that we are that, that's what you get by reading this. And it doesn't feel like you're blaming us. It feels like what you're doing is saying by de-blaming 
Trump the person from it, we can then see, oh, this is a systematic thing. This is a cultural thing. This is something that we're all a part of. And thus, we can all change as easily as we created it. Yep. And But it's going to take will, but it takes knowledge first. And one of the biggest problems that I've encountered is this belief, this erroneous belief that most people walk around with that uh, I would never get into a cult. I'm too smart or I'm too educated versus I'm a human being and under the right set of circumstances, I too could be manipulated to start uh, behaving in a different way and start shifting my belief system. It doesn't necessarily involve gongs and incense, you know. (laughs) Right. No, exactly. Makes it much more manageable and it actually reduces anxiety and fear because you can name it. Well, you did. And we do. And thank you. Thanks so much for being on Team Humid. It, it means a lot to me to finally connect with you in as close to real life as possible. It does for me too. Thanks so All much right. for doing this. Thanks for being on Team Human. Our guest today was mental health counselor and author of Cult of Trump, Stephen Hassan. You can find out more about Stephen at freedomofmind.com and purchase Cult of Trump at your favorite local bookseller. To learn more about all of our guests and for more information about how you can support this show, visit teamhuman.fm. Make sure to check out the whole Team Human book, now being serialized at medium.com slash team-human, where you can also find written copies of most of my monologues. Team Human is a production of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at Queens College. Our community manager is Michael Bass. Our editor is Luke Robert Mason. And our producer is Josh Chaptelin. Our opening theme was kindly donated by Fugazi. The closing theme by the great Mike Watt on bass. You've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.